Hi, this is Tim Sanders, founder of the Omnia Radiation Balancer, and I'm honored to have been a guest on the Journey to Truth show. Now with phone radiation, most people think that because they can't feel anything, nothing is happening. But the reality is that this radiation is causing a lot of stress and damage in your body, and your brain doesn't register that it's happening. The likelihood is that you'll only find out about it when this continuous stress shows up in the body as disease. And this is backed up by well over 10,000 peer-reviewed studies showing that EMF causes serious diseases when they tested it on rats. The Omnia Radiation Balancer removes this stress. It's proven to balance the blood, it brings perfect crystalline structure to water, and our kinesiology muscle tests show that the body goes super strong when you stuck it on your phone. And it works with 5G. You just order enough patches to cover every radiating device in your home and you're done. It lasts forever. But to be clear, let's not get complacent. We must all stop 5G together. So big thanks and big love to Tyler and Aaron. Click on the link below and you can quickly and permanently bring balance back to your body. Thank you. Hey, you're listening to Journey to Truth podcast. Tonight we have Simon Essler. Uh, some of you know him as a full disclosure activist, and he's been in the community or working towards this awakening for years now. In 2017, he started the Q Think Tank, which is up to like 14 or 15,000 people now, members, which is impressive in itself. Uh, he recently is producing and hosting a show for Edge of Wonder TV called World Within. I highly recommend it. It is fascinating. It's a labor of love, like he says, and you can tell how much work he puts into it. And the approach you take is definitely unique and it's, it brings a new perspective to things. I've learned a lot and I can't wait to dive into it and hear your thoughts and what, what went into this whole process. So welcome yeah. to the show. Thank you. Welcome Appreciate back. Appreciate it. Welcome back. Welcome yeah. Back. So you are yeah. a return. Round two. Round two. Yes. Yeah, and certainly, man, crazy to think of how far things have come in just like the short period since we were last on. I mean, technically, it's yeah. round three because I was on that interview with Alex Bloom yeah. at Dimensions of Disclosure as well. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's right. That's right. So technically, yeah. it's the third one. And even since then, man, just crazy, crazy times. Like so much, yeah. I'll say for me, like so much personal awakening, so much growth, so much release. Uh, yeah, it's been super epic. and. Yeah, I mean, this uh, this work with Edge of Wonder has really been, uh, the timing of it has been kind of a culmination of many, many things for me. And like, uh, it's a real trip, I got to say. It's a real trip. I didn't see it coming. Yeah, so how did that get started? Did they approach you? Did you? Just... Yeah, they approached me. And I, I mean, you know, uh, there was sort of like some seeds dropped, like when we had uh, touched base at Dimensions of Disclosure about, you know, potentially making content together. Um and then I just really didn't put much thought into it after that. I was like, hey, that could be cool. And then I just kind of went on with, with my life. Uh, and then, yeah, and then it's something we just sort of pulled together. Um, and uh, yeah, it really has been this labor of love. It has been this culmination of like a lot of like deeper ideas I've wanted to offer the community, a lot of um, alternate perspectives and different ways of looking at this information that I think uh, brings it into people's psyches more deeply. And, you know, for me, I'm really interested in finding ways into this like crazy conspiratorial information that 
are truly uh, supportive of our personal evolution. Because there is, you know, I was talking to Laura Eisenhower about this the other day, that there's a bit of a trap in getting kind of addicted to this information in a very superficial way of just trying to find the next cool disclosure, the next cool, interesting reveal. And we can get stuck in like an anxious loop of just that. And yeah, not, we, not were kind of, we were actually talking about that earlier. Yeah. yeah. There you go. You know it well, right? It's, you know, you have to work to avoid that. And uh, so what I have been trying to do with this series is find angles into this information that are uplifting and that are expansive and that make sure people don't get stuck in that loop of like the next big disclosure and allow them to take home that information in a way that they're going to be inspired to work and, and grow. Because what I'm trying to do is instill like an understanding of principles. You know, like yeah. there's this... Yeah. Uh, it's huge. Yeah. It's really big, right? When you give really people is. like fundamental principles to work with, then they can take them and apply them to everything they look at, everything they're researching, mm -hmm. everything they're discovering. So while I'm sort of bundling it in information and new discoveries that I'm personally making in my research, that's what I think is so cool to be able to do, to really like hand people these deeper principles that they can apply to their own process of, you know, researching and awakening. What's um, and what's amazing about that, just to, like you doing this project. So when you're diving deep into this research for your episodes, just knowing you're producing an episode, you're producing a series forces you to go the extra mile just to go a little deeper down that rabbit hole or whatever that you may not have done otherwise. And it, it really does bring a new aspect into your, into the way you research things. It, it's, it's interesting. Totally. Totally. Absolutely. It's, it's already modified my whole research process. And, and also like there's a, you know, there's particular spiritual practices that have sort of made themselves available to me in terms of letting information come to me of sort of trying to stay very relaxed and very open and just um, keeping that openness so that the right information comes to me at the right time. You know, because I really am trying to take this opportunity of being a conduit to such a large group of people, you know, seriously in that I don't want to be too controlling. Um, you know, I really believe that there are larger forces at work supporting this whole process. And that um, when we keep ourselves open to being a channel for this information, then, you know, things start to happen that just sort of click and the right information comes at the right time. You know, it's something that um, Ben, uh, brought up, um, Ben from Edge of Wonder brought up in my interview with him for my Dimensions of Disclosure talk, where, you know, when you balance research with spiritual practices, you start to notice this phenomenon of synchronicity where just the right information comes to you. And you know, yeah. that's crazy, right? Amen to that. I've noticed, I, I, I firmly believe in that. Yeah. I, don't think, I don't think it's any accident that information comes your way when you're in that, when you're in that practice. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big thing. So I think the more, you know, I think the more we put ourselves in that position of, of being a conduit for the right words at the right time, the right information at the right time, it's really like, it has a very balancing effect because you're dealing with like engaging the public and engaging, you know, like thousands of people and like you have that aspect of it. And I think, um, considering yourself a conduit for something else helps balance all of that so that it's not about ego or about like, you know, anyone being in any kind of hierarchy, you know, it's uh, just about being 
uh, I guess, more and more empty. The more people I can help, the more people I get access to helping, the more empty I want to become. If that makes sense, you know, sure. there's kind of like an inverse process going on there. Yeah, yeah. And I liked I liked what you touched on earlier as far as bringing back like the fundamental principles of all the stuff into your show, which I noticed. And you just bring up some simple everyday terms, and you and you and you and you just apply them to what's going on in the world and how they apply to us. And just just like I, uh, your first episode talking about light warriors not wanting, not liking war, being against war. But we're yeah, yeah. calling ourselves warriors. So we have to think about how we, how we look at war now differently. That's right. If you're a warrior, you're in a war. Yeah. <laughs> and part of this whole awakening really is awakening, realizing that you're awakening well, in the middle of a war. Well, I <laughs> yeah. think a lot of people equate yeah. war with violence. And it's not, it's not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Can, and yeah. It can contain that, obviously. <laughs> but, exactly. But war itself is not... Equal, does not equal that and it's just it just means a battle it just means a struggle um, yeah, yeah. And, and that's it's happening whether we like it or not so it's like you can either you can either step up into that or you can uh you know kind of check out and be like i'm not even gonna you know take part so being a light warrior is essentially stepping up and and, and uh on the side of the light essentially yeah this. That's big. That's a that's a big deal, right? Like, I think a lot of uh, a lot of light warriors. I think a lot of them are being sort of deactivated by this stance of being anti-war, of yeah. trying to be too light in love. And I think it's it's sort of like, you know, it's kind of just it's creating a kind of impotency, you yeah. know, uh, in, in in the movement where there could be a lot of strength and action and decisiveness. And you know, that's what's interesting about war, about the history of war uh decisive action right like even though that's mostly attributed to the violence aspect of it you know when you look at war as as just coming from two fundamental wills right these two i define this in the show that war is two irreconcilable wills uh you know who are perpetually going at each other at no point will they reconcile right they just won't and that is the light and the dark that we're dealing with in the great awakening but i think you know when you when you recognize that aspect of it, uh, there's a way to become activated and to participate in that process. That's super important for for you know the truth community for those who are actively participating in the awakening process. You know, it's really uh, it's a really powerful shift. Like it was for me, you know, because I I for a time in my like you know teenage years was like anti-war and. You know, I remember I got in trouble <laughs> once, right? Like I was in that, you know, I was reading Adbusters and like I was in that whole world. And, you know, I remember at one point I put up an anti-war poster in high school and uh, it really triggered one of the teachers. He got so upset. I later found out that it was because he was a veteran and uh, he found it personally insulting because I guess his orientation was like, you know, no, I want some soldiers to go into that war. I want them to go fight the good fight. And, you know, so he didn't think I should be able to just put up anti-war posters around the school as I pleased. And it sort of became this big thing. I got taken to the principal's office and all this, all yeah. this stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, in looking back on that, I can now relate more deeply to how that teacher was actually feeling because when your will has been applied to something like that, when you've been a part of something that's uh, 
a collective action of, of, of willpower. You know, you, you understand, I think, more about humanity's capacity to do good. Now, can we, as a community, apply that kind of decisive collective action peacefully? You know, I, I think we can, but I think we need to understand the mechanics of war more effectively to do that. And the, absolutely. I, and I absolutely loved your take on how you brought karma into it. On, in your second episode, that really rang true to me. I, it's just, it just makes so much sense because karma is applied on all levels, on a global scale, individual scale, and even you know the negative receives their karma. We, the positive, receives their karma. It just all plays ties together, and it's and the way you broke it down was beautiful. And I was wondering if you just kind of touch on that a little bit. Yeah, actually, so. Um, with the episode that's coming out tomorrow, I'm moving into like solar karma and galactic karma and oh. like continuing that, that journey of expanding it. And, uh, you know, I think that's really important for people to understand that, that karma does scale up to these, you know, these larger, these higher orders of magnitude, so to speak. But I find that empowering because um, it puts us in a position to truly impact those larger scales uh, of what's going on, right? That that because Earth right now is in a position of closing so many cycles, right? You have so many like cycles within cycles coming to a close right now on Earth, right? You have like uh, cycles that are part of sort of um, civilization cycles and you have those planetary cycles coming to a close. You have solar cycles coming to a close. You have galactic cycles coming to a close. That empowers us to heal the karma of all these different cycles. So that means like something that happened billions of years ago in this galaxy can be healed on earth right now. In addition to the things that happened millions of years ago in our solar system and thousands of years ago on earth, those scales are really important to understand. And like researching this has been so empowering for me. Like I've really had an experience today in my, my meditation where I really started feeling connected to like the early uh, the early moments in our gal galaxy's history where war really began and like the early wars, like I really started to feel this archetypal connection to those early wars because I, I'm really starting to feel like some of that karma is truly coming around here on earth. Oh, yeah. Incredibly. Yeah. You know? Um, so it can be very empowering, but I think again, like just like the term warrior we have these terms that get sort of bandied about and, and we don't work to find a common definition that is empowering. And that's what I find with karma too, right? That's why I was like, okay, I'm just going to reorganize some definitions around karma, at least for this series, so that people have this like fundamental tool to work with. And, you know, when we get rid of this idea that karma is super linear, that karma is about like this, this thing you did, then you follow up with that thing in this life and then the next life after it. And like this idea that we're just moving through these linear lives, yeah, like not. it's so not true to what's going on. Right. On so many levels. Like when you look at the, even just the fact that we're dealing with like temporal wars and time travel. Okay. So then how is karma dispersed now that you have people battling each other throughout time? Obviously it's no longer linear. Um, so, you know, I think people finding, new definitions and new ways into these like these new age terms and taking hold of them is really important especially because there's so many new age psyops going on right the whole new yeah. age movement 
was socially engineered. And so obviously a lot of these terms are going to be kind of lacking real substance. And uh, it's up to us to sort of take hold of these terms and, and, and start to redefine them and then apply those more effective definitions. You know, that's a form of warfare to me. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah, they, they push the new age movement while at the same time they're attacking our spiritual potential. Yes. And, they play both sides. Yeah, with both everything. sides, always. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's just just the way it works, and, and it's hard to tell somebody walking down the street that we're in the middle of a spiritual war who doesn't have anything going. Yeah, on. yeah. because if you do, I found myself in those conversations, and they the reason the reason people don't think they'll understand anything I'm talking about because they don't even they they don't think that we're at war right now, which we truly are. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, you like, know, what, I know like, what you mean because that but, well that that metaphysical level of it can be hard to communicate. Yeah, it can be. Yeah, Absolutely. I, like, definitely. Go ahead. Well, to to the average person living just 100% in the like fake matrix world, the only like war they would see is like the the 3D kind of stuff going on, the political stuff. They were bombing Iran, you know, and then and then you get caught up in in all that drama, but they don't realize that like there's this greater, much greater war going on that's um it's once you understand that and once you understand the nature of what's really going on um everything on the surface level everything that we see out there suddenly makes sense you can start connecting dots you start connecting dots so easily and you you immediately like oh i know why this is happening okay oh i know and then you can also react to it appropriately rather than uh when you're like asleep you know so to speak um you get easily caught up in the in the politics and the drama and the fear um because you're asleep and you think that's kind of like that's what reality is it's just all that stuff but when you wake up to this uh spiritual war so to speak that's going on you suddenly have that basis for your reality and you realize you're able and then you're able to you know once you've kind of come back to yourself and gone through your dark night of the soul and healed and everything else um you're no longer like reactive to everything that's put out there immediately. And you, and you, you're like, okay, this is what's happening. And you can kind of like deal with it and process properly it and process yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. You're like way more of an observer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. No, you're right. That's a super important step to acknowledge that, that when we first awaken we do need time to, to go into that darkness and to find that observer to really cultivate that neutral observer, that silent observer. Uh, that's so crucial. That's so crucial to all of this. It really and it's a big, you know, it's like a big portal to compassion because then you, you start to see the behavior of people who are sort of caught up in the matrix for what it is, right? For, for people exactly. who are, are injured in a war, their minds are injured, right? Like their spirits are injured. Uh, you know, and, and that, that to me, that opens my heart instead of feeling like I need to just like wake this person up. Uh, there's a difference I find, you know, like, um, I was thinking about this today and I'm going to touch on this a bit, um, in, in an upcoming episode, but, but I probably won't get to unpack it this much. So I'm kind of excited to talk about it here is that there seems to be like a fundamental karma in like the wars in this galaxy that is very much about genetics and spirituality like genetics and spirituality 
seem to be like deeply connected, especially in terms of free will. And from what I can tell from my, my research, the earliest like major wars in our, our galaxy were focused on genetics, hugely, hugely, hugely. But karma is kind of interesting in the way that there can be like karmic fractals. You can have like a little, like a microcosmic fractal expression of karma uh, playing out on a smaller scale. So for example, if you imagine that in the beginning of our galaxy, there were like two groups and one group thought that genetic engineering was basically to produce crops, to just to grow species that were just essentially a resource. And that's why you genetically engineer a race on a planet. You're just trying to provide a resource for yourself for the small group of elites that you, know, that you want to provide for. And then the other group believes genetic engineering is to create vehicles for like growth and expansion. And you create something so that it teaches you about yourself and about creation. And that's what genetic engineering sort of is for, is to create like better conduits for spirit to come into the physical world. So you have these like two fundamental groups that at the beginning of our galaxy sort of came to terms with those two stances, right? And so you see the philosophy of those two approaches to like spirituality and genetics. And then you arrive on earth now, billions and billions of years later, and you have something like genetically modified foods and that all playing out on earth, right? Where on the one hand, you have this push to like control the genetics of food. To, to create food that is all like very similar and that no, you just control the genetics so you can pump out the same food over and over again. It's just a resource. You control it ultimately. And then on the other side of that is about, you know, creating a healthy ecosystem and a healthy, healthy planet so that the, the genetics can just become a natural expression of health and balance and wholeness. And that's those, that's like the same war playing out, even in something small, like the debate over GMOs on earth you have this interesting karmic sort of fractal, this through line that's coming across all through history. Um, so when I see someone who is like pro-GMO, let's say, I'm I really seeing them as caught up in this like ancient war that they're yeah. like, you know, and they're not necessarily like a bad person who's trying to do a bad thing. It's like th this, this karma is so fundamental to like, uh, our collective psyche and it's so fundamental to what we're like healing that it's very easy to get caught up in. it's very powerful it runs very deep so you know those are the in my research for this series like those are the kinds of connections that I'm like starting to see and it's like amassing into this like bigger picture but again it's like very empowering it's very empowering because it starts to shift like you said the way you see everything and everyone around you it really starts to like change your capacity to observe what's going on and like those yeah, those those like karmic through lines are they're just totally tripping me out right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. You were uh, talking about the genetics, so the like the genetic farmers that we hear about, like that are you know controlling all different groups of people on the planet, and yeah. it, it goes the same with the GMOs and the food. Like, and then you and you talk about Corey Goods mentioned this before. Like, how do you know if this is good or bad? Because because the people behind it on each side think that they are doing good. Yeah. So there's also that mind control behind it as well. It's not just, it's like people are being mind controlled to do something that they, they, they may not have the understanding of the depth of what's really happening and what they're really pushing. So there's so many factors 
to think about. It's important for people to realize how far off the path a positively oriented being can be taken. Someone who identifies as being positively oriented, they can get taken extremely far off their path to a point of great harm and still be coming from the stance of being positively oriented. That's oh, a yeah. really important thing to remember. And you know, the, probably the best example I've found of this, and this, you know, this is something that this community is very familiar with, but it is, is the war between Mars and Maldek. Mm -hmm. yeah. and the destruction of that planet right so you know i've been researching that pretty deeply lately and the, the law the law of one unpacks this pretty succinctly that even though that planet got destroyed it was destroyed in a war and it was destroyed by a group that was positively oriented and in that time in that era in history they felt themselves to be fighting a righteous war Right? Yeah. They were positively oriented. And so that led to the destruction of an entire planet. Right? So, I mean, that's a good warning for, for those of us who identify as being of service to others. That you, your desire to be of service can be usurped. It can be undermined to the point of destroying a planet. Like, yeah. that's crazy. That's a great point. Yeah. Because you, um, you can have that desire to be service to others and to do good but you can go about that in very wrong ways and we see that all the time right mm -hmm. um so it's very important not just to have that desire but to have like the wisdom to go along with it to understand how to behave and to act and and what is a good idea to do what's not a good idea um etc so yeah it's huge yeah and when you were talking about the, the Mars and Maldek thing, uh, that you're literally talking about Star Wars, the movie Star Wars playing it's out. Yeah, at, it's literally it's just Star like, Wars. Uh, <laughs> uh, join the dark side and together we can rule the galaxy. Right? And they think that they're going to be doing a positive thing. Well, the Empire and, in Star and Wars they, thinks they're the good guys. And they know? end up destroying <laughs> a planet. Like, I know, it's crazy, yeah. right? Like, it's the same story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the tie between. Star Wars and our actual galactic history is pretty wild. It really is. It's yeah. pretty yeah. crazy. You can really, it really is. you should make a series on that next. There you go. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> like, the more I'm writing this series, the more I'm like, you know, struggling with the things that I can't include because I've got 25, 30 minutes, like max, to just like create this crazy little like delivery of metaphysics and disclosure information. It's really challenging in a good way, but it's very challenging and I have to cut out so much that I want to offer. So like, it's definitely informing future works and bigger projects. And, you know, uh, there's a documentary that, you know, that I'm slowly working on, uh, with some, some other members of the community. And, uh, you know, I'm really, as I'm going through this series and creating for this series, I feel like I'm amalgamating like a deeper, larger narrative that I will be able to at some point serve up uh for the community because there's just there's so much you know once you really get deep into this stuff it's really like quite amazing because it's very personal as well right because yeah. like as you're researching you know you're tying this to your own personal awakening so sharing it becomes a very intimate act uh you know like when i'm creating these episodes i'm really sharing like a deep part of my journey uh 
but I feel that infuses it with, with a takeaway for people that is going to be meaningful, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and people resonate with that. I mean, we all relate. Same with, yeah. I, when I do my, I've only done two videos on my channel, but you become emotionally invested and you start tying it in with your own personal, you know, testimony, I guess. Yeah. And, and it really, I, I, I know where you're coming from. Definitely. It's very yeah. healing. It's very healing. And I think, you know, one of the things I'd like to do is to try and create a conduit for people to, to share their awakening stories, but in a way that is like packaged very well, that's, you know, very slick and clean. And uh, I just think that would be really healing for people. Having had this experience now, having had the, you know, just the time and the, and the energy and the opportunity to like really package a moment or an, an aspect of my own awakening, like that's just so, so healing, you know? And I think if people had a way to do that, uh, it might become just like a form of medicine, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Even just being able to listen to stuff like the podcast or just anytime somebody comes and and even gives a glimpse into a portion of their awakening, someone else is going to hear that and relate to it. And like, man, I needed to hear that because I've gone through the same exact many, many times from, yeah you know that's that's what happened with um that that shaman story that i shared in the first episode uh uh, gazing gazing into the mirror and seeing this this version of myself living a a parallel life but in technically in the past um you know and i was really sharing that because i felt like it it drove home an understanding of karma that was very uh helpful you know so i was thinking very practically i was like okay well if you know i can share this story and that that will give people like a real real um you know a real takeaway that they can hold on to to really let that concept deepen but then what also ended up happening after i shared that um was i had a whole bunch of people like privately connect with me and be like oh my god thank you for publicly talking about that phenomenon because i had this happen to me and i just have never ever spoken about it because it doesn't really fit a lot of people's ideas of what's going on. So, you know, like these things can, these moments of sharing can uplift everyone to share more. It can bring meaning to to everyone's experiences. And I think when we're not sharing from a place of personal validation, it really makes a a big difference. You know, when when, when we share from a place of just trying to get validation from others, it it can sort of, um, I think, lessen the impact of, of that information. But, but when you're really sharing from a place of service, um, then it sort of changes the energy of it. And I, I think it makes that sharing like mutually beneficial in a different way. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it's just the same as like doing a act of kindness without anybody watching or having somebody record you giving a homeless person money and then putting that on, on yeah. Facebook or something. You know, you want that, it's, it becomes about the validation and not about the act. Yeah, like making yeah. your kindness go viral. Yeah, but, but you know, the, yeah. and, I, and I get people's theories on it. Like, well, if people see you doing something nice and it inspires them to do something nice. But at the same time, like, I mean, everything is just so. I mean, it's all about your inner. Exactly. It is. Motivation. That's the realest thing that's going on, right? And this, that's a, it, this is a difficult thing to understand that 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 inner world and that your spiritual nature 
that's the realist thing. That's reality. And that's what's giving rise to this. Exactly. Right? That's, the, that's the fundamental basis for this reality is that abstract sort of spiritual energetic world. And so, you know, understanding that those are at the root of everything and that all this sort of matrix that you're wading through is coming from that, truly letting that land, uh, you know, it's, it's very powerful because then all of a sudden uh, your focus is on this like internal Kung Fu all the time, you know? And that's like, you know, that's another sort of warfare perspective that I find very helpful that, you know, if I'm in an interaction with someone and it's triggered me, then it's like, I have some spiritual, my, some internal Kung Fu to do, you know, I got to figure out, Hey, yo, I got triggered. Like, what do I do with this? I got to hold space for it. I got to make sure I'm not reacting on that person, but being fully aware and accepting of what I'm feeling. Like, you know, it's kind of like a subtle art. Oh yeah. Uh, but it's totally. pretty awesome. You yeah. know? And it takes some conscious breathing to get through that. Uh, it really does. That helps slowly on your breathing. Take a minute because, yeah, when you start reacting, I've been in, we've all been in oh, those yeah. scenarios. We've all been there. Yeah. We'll all be there again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the more, the, the more you work on yourself, the... It becomes easier. Yeah. And, and the more, like, that state becomes your natural state rather than this reactive state or... Yeah. Um, getting caught up in your ego and everything else, you know, it's like the more you, that's why it's so, so important to, to work on yourself and to do the inner work. Like you hear, we hear all the time in this community, but it's, it's true. It's the most important thing is the inner work. You know, I think the perspective of warfare kind of uplifts some of that into a, a different level. Like it gets a sort of shed some of that triteness. Cause like you said, like people say this all the time, right? Like breathe, do the inner work, breathe, do the inner work. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it kind of gets like dull. Uh, and I think there's something very activating about really finding that, that warfare perspective where it's like, mm -hmm. you know, that meditation I had this morning, that's like a tactic I'm applying in an operation that I'm performing. Like, yeah. you know, I find that really enlivening personally, you know, uh, I think that's really cool. And, you know, another thing that I, I discovered in my research is that uh, there was great purpose to the Buddha keeping the language of warriors in his teachings, right? Because the Buddha was raised in warrior culture. You know, that was a path that was set out for the Buddha was to become a, a warrior king. And uh, when the Buddha attained enlightenment and started teaching, all that warrior language stayed because that spirit of the warrior, that application of oneself is very effective. It's very important. You know, so in looking at the ego or, or, or the, you know, um, any of those challenges that we're, we're, we're trying to overcome in, in growing and expanding, you do have to have disciplines that, that are those of the warrior. And you do have to take it that seriously in some instances. You know, it's not that there's no place for lightness, but, you know, personally, that was very activating for me after having, you know, like I said, lived, lived a time of my life being anti-war and, and all that stuff, you know, and I think. I guess the, the limiting definition of war that exists is kind of a trap. Yeah, it's like it's almost like um, you could say like becoming aware that you're a part of something much greater than yourself is uh, is a good mindset to have, and that's because otherwise, if you it's like like you said, it can become um, if you have the mindset of this is just me you know, doing my inner work and working on myself, but there, you don't have, you don't keep that understanding and mindset alive that no, I'm a 
I'm a part of this much greater, um, amazing war or however you want to look at it that's going on. And I get to, I get to like play a part in that and how exciting that, that gets exciting. And it's like, you can lose that excitement if you lose sight of that bigger picture. Well, and part of when one of the main war tactics though is, is keeping your soul suppressed. So yeah, that yeah. like they're oh, yeah. they're actually that is part of the war on us right now. So and that's a part so, of the so war, be, yeah. yeah. So becoming exactly. aware is like there's so many layers to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, that soul suppression aspect is really interesting too. That like I had never looked at it that way until I started studying the Toronto Protocols and and, and really like going down that particular rabbit hole. And like this idea that that the soul can be suppressed in the body. I think is really, really important for people to realize. Like, again, I think that that can come back to this idea that someone who is positively oriented can be misled down a very, very dark path. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, part of that most certainly involves the suppression of the soul and, 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 and letting yourself be led by manipulations that are much more physical and, you know, much more about like messing with your, the way your brain functions and the way your body functions. And, you know, that's, a, I think, an important part of this to understand that we're on a daily basis engaged with that process of trying to ensoul your body more, and trying to bring more and more of your soul's presence into your body every day. And uh, the idea that there are forces trying to stop that on a regular basis and that one of the most powerful things you can do is like regular meditation. Like, you know, that really changes, that changes the idea of war, like almost immediately, because then you can be a full participant in this through ultimately peaceful means. And you can be like active every day with nothing but the peaceful application of oneself. Exactly. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah, And and a lot of those in in a lot of, being active can just be applied by using your mind. It doesn't have to be about making a video or sharing a post or, or, you know, even going anywhere you can, you can just create that intention and and have an effect as well. Yeah. That's that whole thing of like doing, doing and being right. And there are really, those are really two important paths to be, to being of service, like during the great awakening. And, and I think, getting clear on those two aspects of your existence is really important because like uh, there are times when just being is going to be a more effective form of service. And there are other times when like a great amount of doing is necessary. Yeah. And I think the goal is to eventually really merge those two things to have your state of being elevated while you're in a state of doing. And uh, that's a very tricky balance right? To be, it's, that's like that flow state, you know, people talk about being in a flow state. And to me, that's doing and being combined, uh, you know, with this sort of full level of awareness. Uh, You know, there's a teacher that I work with, and he talks about it as not doing, you have to learn not doings, how to apply yourself without applying yourself. Uh, And it's, it's very like, it's about, but there's something there of like, you know, being empty while being in action. And like, what does that mean uh, to you personally? You know, people have to find their own way into that. Yeah, it's, 
it's you're going to come to a crossroads at some point in the journey in your journey just by just try, by trying to apply what you just said it's never going to be easy it is tricky exactly it reminds me of uh there's a movie a tom cruise movie the last samurai and he's trying to they're, they're training him to fight and he's he's uh he's not focused and the guy stops him and he says he can't speak good english he says too many mind too many mind no mind which means like he's thinking too hard about just mm -hmm. and and that actually that actually stuck with me and during my meditations if i find myself straying off i will say to myself too many mind <laughs> and it actually and it brings me back to the place that i need to be yeah it, it, it's just funny how it all applies but uh, it's incredible i gotta say one of the most effective tactics in this war is internal silence hands down like to me that is something that i am like devoted to cultivating in a major way in my life that internal silence is so tactically sound in this war because what it does is it removes all opportunities for uh like social programming and the kind of like mass mind control that's going on because all of that like mind control through like media manipulation and the educational system and social engineering all of that relies on internal dialogue yeah. your internal dialogue the way you speak to yourself that is the mechanism that's the trojan horse for all this programming it doesn't function when you're completely silent in yourself they can't they can't apply those things to you so to me that's like the more you can cultivate internal silence and bring that into parts of your life, you're literally protecting yourself from like huge amounts of like programming and attacks and all sorts of things. Like it's really incredible. Yes. Yeah. Right? It's like um, that's, that's your ego coming through. I would say is all that internal dialogue and you're, you're telling yourself it's like you're um, continuing your story of your ego. Like, and that's what the media and the the matrix plays to is your ego right that's why they're always trying to sell you stuff like to oh you want to you want to be valuable to people so you need to have this and do this you want to you know it's yeah it's all this ego but when you come like you said this internal silence you're silencing the ego and you're um you're just sitting with your at pure essence of you and it's like well then you can get into like a philosophical uh debate of like well what is who am i really am i the story that i've told myself like the ego story or am i just the awareness the consciousness and yes when you, when you start thinking about it you're like well who's the me that's thinking this that's right thinking these thoughts well that's the just the pure consciousness and that's what each one of us that's what we really are you know, when I first woke up to that in like the early stages of my awakening, it, it really became, I wasn't able to achieve any level of internal silence. Like it just was not, it wasn't happening for me. My mind was not going to stop. So it became about like focusing on the space in between the thoughts. And I, I got, you know, really into transcendental meditation at first, um, you know, which is the addition of like a simple word sound mantra, right? For me, it was a uh, lum. It was just saying lum over and over. And at first, the focus is on the word sound and the vibration of that word sound and how it's impacting you and the repetition of it and how it carries you. But over time, it was about um, stretching out 
the space between each mantra and observing the space in between, which eventually let me develop a form of mindfulness where I was able to say, see the space between my thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, I'm not thinking 100% of the time every single microsecond. Clearly, one thought ends somewhere and another thought begins. And so what? Even if it's like a split second, there's space there. Well, how can I be the thoughts if there's space? Aren't I the space that's harboring the thoughts? And like that, that was like a big sort of blossoming for me when at a time when I just, I could not achieve any level of internal silence. That was so helpful for me. And so I think, you know, even for people who really struggle with that, I know a lot of people are intimidated by the idea of becoming internally silent. And that's understandable. I think one of the best things we can do initially is learn to slow down the pace of our thinking. And when you learn to think slowly and methodically, then you can start to see space between thoughts. And that, that just even just that little bit of silence right there, that's, I mean, that's going to expand naturally over time. So like, I'd like to really encourage that practice for people who aren't able to achieve internal silence to just practice slow, deliberate thinking, and then eventually use that to look at the space between those slow, deliberate thoughts. And that's like super powerful. That's, and it's so valuable because that is the number one complaint I hear about people trying to get into meditation who've never done it. They can't, they can't slow their mind down. They can't do it. And I get it. I was there. And and some days I still struggle, but that's valuable advice for a lot of people. Yeah, it's a big deal. And that's, you know, it's funny. Like that's, again, this is, this is warfare, right? This is like, we got to get as many people. We have to help as many people activate these aspects of themselves. And, you know, when I, when I found that, that Marine warfighting document that, that I referred to in the series, um, I found that it's so helpful to look at things in those like three layers of the three levels of war, right? That, that all warfighting is based initially on an overall strategy, a warfighting strategy, which is made up of different operations and those operations are composed of tactics. Yeah. And, and like once I sort of really got comfortable with that structure, I was like, man, we can apply this to so much of the awakening movement, so much of what we're doing, so much of our lives, you know, it's like, when you look at strategy, right? Like war fighting strategy. Well, that, that level of it is really where community lives, right? Because strategy is so much bigger. It's, it deals with this like larger perspective and these like larger overarching goals, right? So when we look at like, okay, I have this, we have this overarching strategy of trying to get this information about the secret space program out. And this is important because it ties to all these different social issues. So it's like you get this overall strategy and that's like, okay, then we need to have like operations within that strategy, you know? So then you have like the cosmic secrets coming out. So, you know, that that's like one operation. And then you have like, you know, you have like, it gets broken down. And then personally on that smaller level, you develop like personal red pill tactics. You get really familiar with the material. You figure out the psychology of the material so that when you encounter someone, you can sense, oh, which bit of information is good for this person in this moment, you know, and that becomes that like tactical level. And then all that gets drawn back up to that strategic level. And I think if we as a community can start to organize in those ways, man, like our collective willpower will be so much more effective. You just, oh, yeah. you just essentially broke down Q. 
Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Perfect exactly. example. Really, that's exactly what they're. It's exactly the result of a of a long, well thought out strategy. That's right. That's war fighting. No, that was my ins like one of my major inspirations for this series was how do we reconcile the like light love trap that's causing so much like you know impotency in this community? How do we reconcile that with how effective the Q operation has been? Because Q is like the Q operation is a war fighting operation. It all its effectiveness comes from war fighting, from the wisdom of war, right? That's like 100% what's going on. So you cannot, like, you cannot love and light your way into the kind of effectiveness Q has shown, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just like a numbers game. Like the number of people that operation has woken up, startling, you know? There was um, a Fox News interview uh, like a month or two ago where they actually like sussed out the numbers of the Q following in America. It's like something like 33 million people. It said 10%. Yeah, which would be about 33 million. Yeah. Right? Like, insane. <laughs> that's crazy, right? It's crazy. So, and that's possible. I believe weird. it. I 100% yeah. believe it. Yeah. The, and that's through war, right? And that's not even including the international following, which exactly. we know is also massive. Yeah, it's a yeah. conservative number, I think. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I think it's absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, you look at that and it's like, okay, well, Clearly, war fighting strategies and war fighting has something to give here because people are waking up in droves yeah. based on this operation. So what can we learn here? You know, and th that, that was an initial inspiration. I'm like, okay, I got to look at, at war more closely because, damn, they woke a ton of people up. And like, <laughs> not, not through being violent, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not a violent operation inherently. Like, pretty crazy. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, some of it... Yeah, some of the uh, physical boots on the ground tactics that we don't see. Gonna have to be. It's gonna have to be yeah. violent. Yeah. But it, it, in a nutshell, you know, it doesn't force all of us to have to be violent. They yeah. found a way like, to, to basically engage the public as a warfighting like, tactic, right? So it's like, to me, the warfighting strategy that Q is utilizing it is based on the removal of the deep state that is the larger strategy at play right it's about removing yeah. this embedded collective of actors from power like fully completely entirely and legally then you know you have that that overarching strategy and then within that strategy there is an operation that's about informing and activating the public and turning this awakened portion of the public into an asset for that war fighting strategy. So, you know, sometimes people say that like QAnon is like a dissemination operation. And like, I don't, I think that's like a limiting way to look at it. Cause I really think the dissemination aspect and the public engagement aspect that, you know, uh, that's just one thing about this larger, larger strategy. So, yeah. you know, I think it's really interesting to see that, you know, we're, we're part of a, an operation in this larger strategic effort that the QAnon group is putting forward. And it's like really, really so incredible. Yeah, and it's, and it's, it really is. It's so multi-layered too, because it's not just about the Q post. It's about the trip codes that take you to a book. And then that book can take you down a rabbit hole. And it, it's well thought out. It's very well. Well, and Q and it's also there's, yeah, there's so many layers to it. Like they, they'll put out disinformation intentionally to throw off the cabal. 
you know, Q predicts things months, sometimes a year ahead of time that happen that people he'll like put out something and sometimes people will be like, Oh, that didn't happen. Q's fake or, or, or what did that mean? That's, you know, no one knows what it meant. And then a year later or however long later, something happens and it's exactly what Q said. said. And, and like, oh, you're damn, like, I knew about what this. is going on here? Yeah. You know, <laughs> so a lot of that stuff, like a lot of those tactics like that, they come straight from Sun Tzu's The Art of War. Have you guys read it? I haven't read it, but I, I you read it. Honestly, I know about it. It's short. Like when I finally sat down to read it, I was like, Oh my God, this is a short book. Like, you know, I can burn through this in my right. crazy busy life. I can read this whole book, yeah. um, which is hard to do. You know, reading a full book these days is hard, but um, yeah, my point, that's an aside. My point is that uh, that really woke me up to a lot of understanding in terms of the Q operation overall as well. So, you know, there's, there's things like um, uh, Sun Tzu says that you need to develop a level of trust with your soldiers. You need to have them trust you to the point that um, they'll be in a position where they do not know what's going on and you can't tell them what's going on. They have to be in the dark for operational purposes. And regardless of that, they will trust you. Like that's a, that's a, one of the teachings in the art of war, you know, or that, or that to an extent, your soldiers have to become a conduit for disinformation to make sure that mislead the enemy. And that's just like a part of war, right? Cause all warfare yeah. is based on deception. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nope. You know? And so when you start to look at it that way and look at the whole, like disinformation is necessary that it's like, not only is it necessary to disinform the deep state, it was necessary to use us as a conduit for disinformation because that's, that's war fighting. But on the other side of it, they have the future proves past protocol in place and that's to develop morale and trust and to build that more and more fundamentally over time so that we can be in the dark about aspects of the operation, but not turn that into an element of distrust yeah. That, that comes from Sun Tzu, like that's straight from that wisdom, you know? So it's like very interesting that Donald Trump cites that as one of his favorite books. Yeah. Very interesting. I, I do recall seeing yeah. that now and, and having that understanding and that background, it, you'll understand some of his tactics, even within his tweets. Yeah. Yep. It, which might seem crazy or make zero sense to a majority of the people, but yep. somebody who is on that, mindset on that level uh, might see it well i think that's you know that's when you talk about his book the art of the deal i think that's part of the inspiration it was it was inspired by the art of war right this is he sees he sees business as warfare he's always seen it that way yeah so you know to put someone of that mindset into the office of the president and then into this collaboration with all these military and intelligence people that are like top of their field. I mean, that's, that's just so crazy. It blows my mind. Like all like constantly. Yeah. I'm never like, I'm ne- I've never like feel neutral when I really sit down and like take in what is happening with Q. I'm always just like, Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I, I always wonder how many of the followers even really truly understand Q so, you know, I wonder how many of them were just Trump supporters. picture, yeah. 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 And, and I don't even fully understand Q. I don't think any of us technically really can. No. 
right? Now, facets of it. We get facets yeah. of it. Yeah. Best. Yeah. But I just wondered, I wondered a percentage there because. Uh, but you don't, but we don't need to. Everyone doesn't need to understand exactly, exactly. what's happening. And, that's, that's and that goes along with your point. It's yeah. like. Yeah. Um, if no, we, if we all understood the operation fully, it, it would crumble. It wouldn't work. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't work. Yeah. Cause exactly. The deep state would know too. Well, you'd have, yeah, a bunch of us telegraphing what's gonna we get excited about it and, exactly oh, this is exactly. Gonna, and that's why like even um david wilcock i remember said a while back like he feels really bad because he actually uh thwarted one of the alliance's operations because he got excited about the information and he put it out there right he was like oh no and they literally came and told him after that that he messed it up but you know what? That's the operation's fault, right? That, Don't give yeah. your soldiers information they're not supposed to share. And that goes right the fact that, that you have to leave your soldiers in the dark or sometimes even disinform them because that's the nature of war. That's yeah. what, or everything yeah. happens exactly the way it's supposed to and it was meant to go down like that. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. I mean... You never know. Yeah. It's hard to know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, at some point the cue the cue is going to be asked, right? At some point, it's going to go down. Yeah. At some point, someone is going to ask Trump about QAnon. Well, they did already. I mean, we saw that they said, uh, "Can you tell us who the QAnonymous is?" And he goes, not, Well, he said he said anonymous, not Q." Right? No, they said QAnonymous. If you listen it's to a it, Q? I think it's yeah. a, there, there's a debate. I think it says Q anonymous. I didn't actually hear it. I just saw what was posted oh, online. Oh no! If you listen to it, it, it says you tell us who Q anonymous is. Oh. And he says, uh, "I don't want to tell you, but I can tell you, or I don't want to say, but I can tell you, you'll be surprised, or something like really? that." Really? Yeah. Interesting. Well, and like when know, he said, uh, "What's the calm before the st or what what storm?" He, yeah, he yeah. said the calm before the storm, and he said, "What right. storm?" And he said, "Yes, yeah, so you'll find out." So for anybody who's listening okay. doesn't know, my personal point of view on it is I think that they said, who is QAnonymous? I okay. think that was a question. Okay. I okay. hope so. I've watched it. I actually listened to it a couple times and I was like, yeah, no, they said Q. That's what I think. Interesting. So, so, so then maybe that part of the operation has begun because that's a marker, right? Like there's all these markers yeah. that Q's been alluding to throughout the operation that activate different you know, aspects of what needs to happen. Uh, you know, and, and it's interesting seeing too, like the different, like bigger names getting involved in it and becoming apparent. Like, you know, um, Laura Ingram was mm -hmm. on the boards yeah. the other day. Did you guys see that? I know, but I heard, I read about it. I read about it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that, that's pretty cool, right? Like to have someone like that lurking on the boards and watching this thing go down and then communicating with Anons and getting on national television and like playing yeah. that game. It's huge. That's a big deal, man. I, when I saw that, I was like, damn, that's, that's a big shift in this, right? Because, you know, you like to imagine people in that position, someone who's like, like a journalist, actually catching like that fire of like, whoa, what's really going on here? Because once you actually see what's going on, you're like, whoa, 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 I need to look into this. Like, I need to research this personally, myself. I need to set aside what everyone else is saying and I need to do a dive. I need to get into like a rabbit hole. Like that's one of the coolest things that Q does. Is it like all the Socratic method, right? All that, that questioning, it triggers individual people into their own personal research process. Mm -hmm. And that's like a crucial ritual of the awakening, right? Like uh, at, uh, at Dimensions of Disclosure uh, two, two years ago, 
uh, Elizabeth Wilcock called it the YouTube K-hole. Yeah, and, uh, I remember that. Yeah. I always thought that was so funny, but so interesting because at the time I had been looking at that act as like a ritual of awakening, that like crazy state you get into where it's like it's three in the morning and that doesn't matter to you <laughs> at all. And you have like 50 tabs open in your browser. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, and you're, you're like, you're totally alone. You're just like in this crazy zone. And it many like, times. Yes. We've <laughs> all been there, but it's weird that that's a ritual of awakening. Cause like I have so yeah. much interest in like ritual and ceremony and like those things. Right. And it's like, that's so odd and interesting, but, but what's cool is that Q knows that and designed like literally designed questions to generate personal rabbit holes i mean like the the kind of psychological research that they must have put into this operation for things like that you know where it's like they, they must have then psychologically profiled the existing truth or communities they must have they must have profiled these communities to think of like ways to activate that process in others right I, I don't know. I think about that often where I'm just like, how, how did they grasp the psychology of the existing like awakened communities or awakening communities and then use that knowledge to spread that process to the uninitiated? Maybe, you know, maybe there's been a, a member of Q at every one of the conferences. We just don't know. <laughs> no, they've been infiltrating. Well, yeah, that would be the alliance, essentially. Yeah. 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 I mean, they have been profiling these communities. We know 100%. There's no way they could have done this without profiling the communities. Uh, it's just it's just not possible, right? With the, their effectiveness. Well, and, and that's, you know, that's the thing to learn from the most. How do you awaken the uninitiated? Yeah. And, and, that's some, what they did. and some of the uh, literature that they point you to, to is stuff that you know i think michael sala david Wilk, two, and two different david wilcock books right yeah sphere alliance has now been recognized uh, uh through one of the trip codes jordan's eighth there's been cued yeah I so i mean clearly times, uh, clearly clearly that's happening yeah you know and that's an interesting thing about q to talk about as well is that like they are 100 percent aware of the fact that anything this operation sheds light on or alludes to will just be like attacked by research. Anything, anything that Q points people's attention towards will just be like consumed by truthers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's very interesting in terms of that whole book list trip code thing. Cause I know like there are a lot of anons and a lot of Q followers that like do not, they don't accept that as a legitimate part of the operation because Q never confirmed or denied it. Yeah. Never spoke to it. But to me, an operation this serious, there's just, they're not, they're not doing anything lightly, you know? So if they saw that someone got caught up in this whole trip code book list thing, and it wasn't a legitimate part of the operation and it was disturbing legitimate parts of the operation, in my opinion, Q would have denied. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, just like when people were like, is JFK Jr., uh, you know, that, that whole thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Is he alive? And, uh, and Q's just like, no, no. Yeah. That's not, that's not true. Let's move on because we have other parts of the operation. So I really feel that Q would have overtly denied that book list if yeah. it wasn't true. Yeah. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. Well, I was just going to say about the JFK Jr., whether he's alive or not, I think it's important not to get caught up on that because it's going to distract you from the more important things. So I mean, that's the idea, right? Even if, yeah, even if he is still alive, I think he would have said no either way because he doesn't want yeah. Because if he would have said yes and confirmed that, can you imagine the craziness that would have ensued? That's right. That's totally uh, right. That's totally right. You know so, what I find interesting is how so, how we refer to Q. I always say they. I notice you say he. I know some people say he or they. It's it's interesting to me. I say he. Well, I say he just because I I don't know what I I know what Q is. I know it's not just one guy, yeah. and it's uh, it's. And, and uh, it's at least it's less than 10 supposedly yeah, but i just find it interesting group. is all i'm saying um, you know sometimes it does feel like there's a primary individual scripting these drops aside from the times when it says q plus and you're like well that's clearly trump yeah, yeah yeah um but it does sometimes feel like there is a leader it does in yeah. this group that is in control of the linguistics yeah Sure. And that you personally want to relate to whoever that person is. Now, with their understanding of psychology and linguistics, it very well could be rotating people who just know how to use language effectively. Could be. But I'll say that it does sometimes feel like you're connecting with an individual who specifically has taken on the task of inspiring and leading. Yeah, it, does. Times, it right? definitely does. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you forgot and confusing also. Inspiring, <laughs> leading, and conf- because you can't Purposely. tell me you've understood every cue drop. I no, mean, it's like I, I yeah. think that's once I realized that element of war fighting, it was like, oh man, my confusion is a tactic in this operation. Yeah. It's important that I have no clue what that means right now because I'm not supposed to know what it means until it's unlocked in two years. <laughs> yeah exactly you know exactly. which is like ah oh, kind of frustrating but yeah that's the way it works you know like uh, pretty crazy it's pretty amazing and the, i don't know how much of this is going to turn out to be temporal technology yeah. you know that whole part of it is its own rabbit hole but uh i think i think i like to think that certainly there is that element of it but I think the amount of planning and control that was put into this uh, makes a lot of this possible without the time travel technology. Maybe not all of it, but I think people would be surprised to find out how much like the effectiveness of just like the basic plan is allowing some of those aspects to play out. Well, it would have to yeah. be, it would have to be because things changed on a daily basis. Like the term things changed in the fog of war, you know, you, just because you've seen something happen, that doesn't necessarily mean it might not play out that way because we all can affect the outcome of things just by talking about it or even thinking about it or knowing about it. So they would have to not solely rely on a technology, let's say. Yes, exactly. There, there has to be a fundamental operation in place because the time travel device is a tactical advantage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not the overarching strategy, you know? Yeah. Exactly. It's, 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 it's beneath that, that element of it. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's crazy. And like, to me, I think if we can integrate that level of, of wisdom in terms of war fighting into the community and, and uh, into our efforts towards full disclosure and, and that, um, I really think we can like exponentially grow our impact. 
So, you know, I feel super interested in being able to provide access to, to this information from a perspective of war fighting that is tactical. Like I really think about the cycles of this and how like the whole, you know, the cabal and, and the whole reptilian element of this, um, it's starting to feel deeply familiar. The deeper I get into this, the more I'm like, I have been up against these people before. I've, you know, like I'm really yeah. starting to feel the, like this, the whole reptilian thing where it's like, this is not new. I've, I've engaged these groups before. I, I wholeheartedly, lives, absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree with that feeling just because some, there's no, it's not by accident that I'm taking this information so lightly. It, it because we're familiar with it. It's not an accident that yeah. this information res, has resonated with all exactly. of us so strongly. Whereas like, a lot of people yeah. come across this and they go, "Oh, that's crazy," and whatever. Yeah, and have yeah. zero interest in even getting into it. Right? Exactly. We're, nothing. It does nothing. We're like fascinated. But and yeah. and some of and so. what I, kind of what I was trying to get at is some of the information that should have shocked any normal person or even shocked me also that doesn't and i'm like why well, and i've thought about this i'm like why am i not shocked by this and you just probably you made a great point it's we're familiar with it on some level we've yeah, been through this and we've experienced it obviously that's why we're doing this right now this very moment talking about this that's you know that's one of the other sort of warfare perspectives that's interesting is this war across many incarnations you know, your soul's overarching strategy in all of this and like tactically planning incarnations and being like, I'm going to incarnate into this family line. I'm going to heal this family line. And then that's going to give me these uh, access to like these awakening opportunities and these specific groups that need help with this. Like, I think about that too, about like sitting down in like a, like a spiritual war room with my soul family and being like, okay, like, how are we going to do this, guys? We need to, like, seriously map this out. And actually, like, you know, it's funny. Uh, there's a, a teacher that I work with here in Toronto. She's a, a healer and, and uh, a Buddhist monk and just so many things. She's really, really amazing. And, um, you know, at one point I, I was studying David Wilcox's work and I, I showed her a picture of David Wilcox. Uh, and being like, hey, what do you what do you f- feel around this guy? Because she's like a deeply psychic, intuitive person. And she was like, I remember meeting with him and you and a whole bunch of other souls before this incarnation. Really? Mm. That was the first thing she said. Wow. It, go ahead. And then after that, she said his body needs more soup. What does that even mean? Because she, yeah, she's a healer. She's a healer. And she saw something going on with his physicality that he needed i don't know more more food that was like deeply oh, bioavailable like literally more soup. okay yeah she was like <laughs> reading was something like... about his physicality and she was like oh he needs soup he needs way more soup <laughs> well, so if david wilcock comes across this episode oh, david eat more soup man. eat more soup bro <laughs> that book? chicken chicken soup for the chicken soup for the soul, soul. yeah right, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> But that was interesting for for me because it was like, oh man, it opened me up to this idea of like, who did I coordinate with pre-incarnatively, you know? Uh, 
Very well, interesting. Yeah. And it makes and it's interesting because the people in this community that I encounter in the dream state sometimes that I have very vivid, lucid experiences with, it's like we're working together on another level. Maybe like we're all we are Q and our higher selves are Q and we're making the post. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I like that. I like that idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to think how uh how practical we must have been in planning out, you know, what, how we wanted to serve and what we wanted to do. Cause it's like, you know, a life when you, when you plan a life from the soul perspective, pre-incarnatively, like uh, it's not all potentiated, right? You're not a hundred percent sure of how the life's going to play out. Obviously there's free will, things going to change. So you just look at like the sort of potential and the markers that that life holds and how you can, you know, sort of work with the existing structure. And, uh, you know, I do wonder about some of the more like practical, tactical ideas that we had and what of those have come to fruition and, and what of our plans have been thrown out because things got way weirder than we thought or whatever. You know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, you know? yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So I want to ask you a question about war just because yeah. obviously it seems to be the rel relevant topic, but um I've heard somewhere that Switzerland, through all the wars in our history, like the people pulling the strings for like World War One, World War Two, uh, the Cold War, everything, uh, literally were residing in Switzerland. That's why they the cabal, the cabal, essentially. Why they were always neutral? They were. That's why they were always neutral during all the wars. And it seems like really nothing ever got chaotic there. Is, have you heard that? Yes, I have heard that. And to me, I've always felt like that was a sleight of hand, like a magician's sleight of hand, right? Look over here. Look at all the corrupt mongers over here. What, you're yeah. not going to look at the most peaceful country on earth. Yeah, sure. It's like exactly. a, a, a really quite a brilliant uh, moment of psychological warfare. Uh, yeah. Really quite, quite, you know, you have to sometimes just admire some of the intelligence that has gone into their operations. You know, it really yeah. does show a fundamental understanding of human psychology, of human nature. And sure, they're applying it in a very harmful way that's, you know, wrong. Well, uh, the, but the term evil gen genius came from it, somewhere. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, to me, it just like, it goes to confirm that um, intelligence does not equate with morality or with goodness in any, there's no correlation there. I remember hearing, uh, I was listening to uh, Jordan Peterson a while back, actually. So good. He, yeah, he's awesome. I love him. But he was going into that concept and he's like, you can, you know, intelligence does not equate with morality. And in fact, it actually makes it, if you're a evil person, it makes it so much more worse because now you have a thousand ways to um to uh you know do your evil deeds and more effectively than someone who's not intelligent and uh it's it just amplifies basically whatever you your nature is and it's like a tool essentially yeah and you're so, talking you're talking about the fall of atlantis too. yeah that's kind of what happened there it's like when the society starts focusing solely on intelligence mm -hmm. yeah um, well that's I think yeah. it's part of the fall of Maldek as well, because, you know, in the law of one, they say that when this happened, they, they were at the peak of their technological evolution. 
And the, 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 te the technology that destroyed that planet was the tip of the spear, technologically speaking, for them. Right? So, yeah. it's a, it's a, you know, perfect example of that sort of mechanism. Yeah, exactly. Well, we've heard the same with Atlantis. The same thing. They were highly in karma. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if depending on what you've researched, you know, the wrong people got a hold of this technology. And here we are today about to repeat the same cycle if it were not due to this awakening. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, you know, it's really interesting to study that, that karma because of this idea that there were well-meaning people that caused that deep level of harm. I think it, it puts it into perspective. And I think that part of it deserves a lot more attention than uh, focusing on like the evil players that did the awful things. It's really important to learn from the well-meaning players in history who, you know, help create those awful, awful moments in time. It's like, what is it, that Oppenheimer quote when he, he talks about, I've become destroyer of worlds? Yeah. It was Oppenheimer, right? Yeah, I believe that was Oppenheimer. And that's one of those things where it's like, you know, we need a value system to go along with this information and with this awakening process. And I was thinking about this the other day, you know, like um, people like Corey Good are very, very triggering for a lot of people, you know, like some people yeah. just like, obviously, <laughs> so upset by what he represents. And, and a lot of the time, I think it's because people feel he represents a belief system. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's really what's powerful about what's going on. It's that it's, it's that there's a value system in place here. And I think our, you know, the truth or communities could do more work at solidifying this as a value system instead of a belief system and to make sure that we're not forming a new belief system because that's not what's needed. This planet doesn't need any more belief systems. No. We need values. We need strong values that create coherent bonds across large groups of people. So what value system are we building and, and how can... We learn, you know, when we study the deep state and their operations and when we uncover all these secrets, like what is the value system that we need to reconcile that information and then go and bring it out, you know? And if, you're, if your value system is based on uh, just sort of aggressively waking up as many people as you can, uh, then maybe it won't be as effective as a value system that is rooted in compassion and patience, you know? So... That could be, I think the difference between a belief system and a value system is an important distinction. I think that could be applied more effectively with like what we're all doing as a community and what's going on, you know? Well said. Well said. Agree 100%. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, we're running out of time, so we're going to have to wrap this up. Thank you so much for coming on. I feel and like we can fun. talk forever. Yeah, we can. Yeah, this has totally. been fascinating. Totally. Is there any last messages you want to leave us with? Uh, any news about your series? Are you going to be... Yeah, so later? check me out on edgeofwonder.tv every Wednesday uh, where I am uh, putting out new episodes of Worlds Within. The current season is focused on the metaphysics of warfare, so it gets into a lot of what we were talking about today. And uh, yeah, I really do my best to take this kind of potent information and delivered in a way that's going to empower you to go and, and be of service more effectively. People can follow me on Facebook, 
YouTube, Instagram. I finally gave in and got my own Twitter account. So I'm on there as well. Uh, so, you know, help me out with my small amount of <laughs> following on there. All right. Um, and, uh, I'm slowly in the background working on some, um, projects with the great awakening.ca. We really want to bring some Canadian based disclosure to the scene in a really effective way. So, uh, going to be, uh, delivering more content, uh, in that regard. And so, you know, for anyone who's watching this, who's Canadian, you know, yeah. reach out. I talked to a couple Canadians today about how exciting it is to start to see more of that going on. Cause honestly, Canada is really kind of not doing as well in terms of disclosure as, as America is. Yeah. So yeah, check out the great awakening.ca and, uh, you know, reach out if you want to chat. Cause I love talking to the community. That's the best part about this for me. So I'm happy to uh, connect with anyone who reaches out. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Axel and Graham Sims, they're both amazing people. So yeah. those guys are great, man. Yeah. We're, really, we're yeah. going to have them on. Well. We're going to have them on in a few weeks. Yeah. Soon. Yes. 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 Check out uh, Impact to Contact, uh, Graham's book that, that, that he wrote with, uh, with his research partner, Chris. Uh, so good. So good. Definitely, definitely check that out. Yeah. The, it's about the Canadian UFO crash. Yeah. It's the most well-documented UFO event in history. Really? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. It has a crazy, crazy paper trail that is so revealing and so interesting. I really highly recommend people check it out. It's a really quite, quite an incredible piece of work. Actually, Graham, we had Graham on an earlier episode a while back when we first started, and he touched on a lot of that uh, insight. He gave us a lot of insight, you know, the story behind the book and all that stuff. So if anybody wants to check that out, I don't remember yeah. the episode number. I think it was 14, actually. So it was around the time we had we yeah. had you on first actually yeah, yeah. Right on. yeah. go yeah. back go back if you haven't seen that episode go back and watch it yeah watch yes. it all yeah definitely well thanks yeah. for coming on simon uh we'll definitely do this again in the future and yeah looking forward to your series and everything you have coming out uh everybody we have t-shirts available now at teespring.com you get 10 percent off with the promo code truth before the end of the month so there's like unless i extend it yeah <laughs> my extend. which very well yeah, so uh, there's six different <laughs> designs. We'll see. Six, six different designs that we had. We had a lot of fun creating them. So, oh, and you know what? I will toss you guys a link for this episode, uh, where if people follow that link, they can get a 10% discount on an annual subscription of EdgeOfWonder.tv. Boom! Nice. Perfect. Boom! Perfect. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for coming on, Simon. Thanks for sitting next to me, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> thanks guys yeah you guys do amazing work i really appreciate the chance to join up and uh you know be more effective in our war fighting tactics yes yep that's a, and that's what it's about yeah thank you all right good yes. night everybody thanks so much man we'll see you next Take care bye-bye We are surrounded by it every day. From overt violence right down to the subtlest expressions of spiritual, psychological, and biological warfare. Does war represent a life lesson that humanity has been stuck repeating for eons of time? Is it possible that the karma of wars playing out on Earth right now 
has galactic origins. Can we finally grow beyond this lesson as a species? Season 1 of this series will explore the metaphysics of warfare. Through the lens of a variety of spiritual teachings old and new, we'll get to the heart of this ancient mystery. Join me in exploring and understanding the true role of war in our lives. I'm your host, Simon Esler, and welcome to Worlds Within, only on edgeofwonder.tv.